0: Welcome to another message from Citizen Heights. We are located in the nation's capital where our heart is to inspire hope, remove limitations, and help you experience God's possible for your life. Join Pastors Michael and Heather Giroux in their passion to help you live your best life. We hope you enjoy today's encouraging and uplifting message. Hey, welcome back to a post-election survival guide for a politically diverse church. It's part two. And as we continue our discussion today, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians 2, uh, verse 19 through 22. And as you find your way there, I want to just give you a brief update. I mentioned last week uh, my big project, renovating our bathroom, and it's been ongoing uh, for the past nine months. I thought we had a chance to get it done last week and finish it, and we got close. There are a few more details we have to take care of, but the sink is installed Uh, the faucets are installed, Uh, we have water again, and we're very close. But I noticed something uh, this week after we got the faucet and the sink installed and back online. Uh, What I noticed is it's been so long that the sink and water hasn't been on and, and it hasn't been an option that we've developed a habit in my home. And the habit is we come out of the bathroom and we go to the kitchen sink to wash our hands. And it's so ingrained this, in, this entire week, even though we have remedied that, and now we have running water in the bathroom. Uh, but that habit and that routine is so ingrained, it's continued, even though we have a working sink again. It's been so long that we've been conditioned, so long that we've been conditioned that this is what we do. And I've caught myself doing it. Uh, uh, you know, Our family's doing it, and I've caught myself doing it as well, because I'm conditioned to come out of the bathroom, go to the kitchen, uh, where there's, uh, leaving the bathroom that has a perfectly good brand new sink uh, that's operating and functioning. And our youngest son the other day, he saw me washing my hands in the bathroom and he said, dad, what are you doing? You can't use that sink. He said, what are you doing? That sink doesn't work. He's saying to me, that sink doesn't work while he watches me use the working sink right he had been so conditioned that the contradicting reality was right in front of him but he couldn't see it you know what i want to tell you today there's an unbiblical thought process that endures the passing of time and it, if it goes unchallenged in our lives it can condition us to a certain way of doing things seeing things and even seeing others do you hear me through the process of passing time, the, the, it endures the passing of time. An unbiblical thought, and, and it goes unchallenged in our lives, and it can condition us to see certain things and see certain people uh, differently. And, and um, you know, as as my son said, "What are you doing? You can't do that." You know, sometimes in life, there's ideas that we have that are unbiblical that have gone unchallenged, and they've seated, they've been seated there for so long. They don't give up their chair very easily, do they? You know, and you can almost hear that thought, what are you doing? You can't do that. You can't have that. You can't accomplish that. You can't enjoy that. But the Bible has a way of helping us unlearn the limitations we knew when we lived for ourselves and relearn The Bible opens to us the great big possible world when Jesus is on the throne of our hearts and the truth of the Bible is turning what we thought to be limitations into wonderful possibilities in God. So let's let go today. Let's let go of some of the conditioning of our fallen mind. Let's get ready to open to rediscovering how God has upgraded, how God has renovated, and how God has replaced some of our old systems and when we do, the new possibilities that, that exist and the new life he's given us begin to, to be visible to us. So Ephesians 2, I've given you a minute. I know you made your way there. Uh, we're going to start at verse 19. Um, and and let's, let's do this. As we read it, let's pay close attention to the language of God's house. Let's pay close attention to the language of the building vocabulary that the author uses Because as we read, we're gonna see this verse is revealing God's building code for building our lives together. So are you ready? Let's read it. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people, and you're members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself, as the chief cornerstone. Come on, so much building language. I love it. It goes on to say, in him, the whole building. Come on, it's building. It's joined together. And it's in him, you two are being built together. Come on, you two, your life, my life, all of us together, we're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Come on, that is a great passage And, uh, you know, you might not be aware of this, but that passage is is where our church name, Citizen Heights, comes from. Uh, It is Ephesians 2, coupled with Matthew 5. Those two passages uh, were really pivotal um, and foundational thoughts for us as a church, anchors for us as a church. Uh, And as you just read, we are fellow citizens. Ephesians 2. Matthew 5 talks about we're a city set on a hill. See, when God's people find their identity in Jesus and their unity in his family, the hill lifts us up to new heights where we are now, therefore, citizens, citizen heights, new heights on the hill of God's family, God's community. So our name is really a prophetic declaration of a spiritual DNA, a spiritual destiny. Um, And that destiny is, is this. We can have a diversity and we can still have unity. Because, now listen, we can, have, we can have diversity, still have unity, but we can have it because we've surrendered to Jesus' supremacy. And, and that surrender to Jesus is, is my new kingdom citizenship. It's my new identity. See, when you allow your identity to switch over, something happens. So we're fellow citizens with God's people. And all that language we just read, members together, joined together, built together, becoming something together, a dwelling place together. That's a that's particular interest to each one of us as we are part of an incredibly diverse church. We're diverse in every imaginable way. And uh, in fact, new people come into Citizen Heights and they can't help comment, this is, a, this is such a diverse church. Guest speakers who come and, and, and uh, minister here, they want to talk about it. This is a very diverse church. Church hoppers who've seen more than just a handful of Sundays. Uh, walk in and they know it's not normal and all of them they all want to know how how did how did this happen well i'm happy to tell you god did it and he did it in part i think because we're trying to follow the blueprint and the building code that he's laid out for us in the gospels and in ephesians 2 as we zero in these are the foundations we've built on in the past as a church but foundations need to be revisited sometimes foundations need to be inspected and sometimes uh, foundations need to be reinforced. So because some of us, in, you know, we might be new to citizens, you might be new, and you might be enjoying the incredible unity and diversity that God's built in the midst of this, but you might not know what built it. And in your innocence and possibly in your ignorance, You could be doing damage to it. You're enjoying it, but you don't know what caused it or created it. And so you inadvertently are doing damage because there are some, even of faith, that are making it their mission, not at Citizen Heights specifically, but just in the church world generally, there's some that are making it their mission to notify people, other people, that there is no room for people who hold those opposing views in their life personally or in God's house, God's community. You know, they're, they're just communicating this post-election. Like we're talking about, we're not talking about politics in church, like what you should or shouldn't believe, but we're talking about how do we, in the midst of a diverse political landscape that we find ourselves in, how do we continue to live and walk in unity as God's community? And uh, if we don't do it, let me tell you, we'll, we'll be doing the devil's work for him we really will at best we'll function out of biblical ignorance at worst we'll be functioning out of a lack of biblical obedience and so the bible holds up a mirror for us today doesn't it to see who we are and areas that are out of alignment with god's heart so we all need uh, to be reminded so god's master plan for the future of his kingdom it's the uh, you know it's the reaching of this world it's the building of his house and it includes all of us. If you want a big idea today, that's what it is. God's plan, it includes all of us. So if that's you that's been struggling with, with this unity issue, or, or maybe you've, you've recently taken on a, uh, a tone or a posture that is excluding others or judging others or casting um, you know, doubt upon the motives and the heart intentions of others, come on, God sees the heart. We look on the outside. And if you give me 35 minutes to show you how uh, I'll show you that God's heart for his house and also show you how uh, you can play a role in it. So we all need to be reminded, uh, loving one another, including one another, staying committed to one another. Those are part of the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So it's going to be part of our foundation. It's what connects you to the chief cornerstone. His name is Jesus. So we don't get to do a demolition job on one another, on people who love God or people who are different and diverse from us. And we don't do a demolition job on God's house. So today is a continuation of that discussion we began last week. I want to encourage you, refresh. If you haven't watched it already, watch part one of a post-election survival guide for a politically diverse church. We're looking at five foundations, and I actually wrote this two weeks ago while we were still wondering who our new president would be. So last week I shared three foundational thoughts. Let's hit a quick review right now, and I'll share at least one more foundation today. Um, and then uh, maybe that'll be it. Maybe we'll, we'll do one more edition. We'll see. But here's a quick review, and it's, it's more than a review. It's, it, it'll be kind of a replay uh, because some of these things need to be heard almost in the same sitting to give you the complete context and, and I believe, give you the, the, full, uh, the full ability to grab hold of a new foundation and a new filter and let go of maybe some of the things we've been conditioned for. Sound good? Do you have your uh, app out, Citizen Heights app? So you can look along with our app notes. You can also use, um, uh, mention us at Citizen Heights so we can hear what God is speaking to you and uh, keep the conversation going online. So the first foundation was simply this. Remember, God deserves and God demands first place in your life. God deserves and God demands first place in your life. So that was from Exodus 23, the first commandment, you shall have no other God before me. And we touched on that last week. Perhaps it's because we live in proximity to the nation's capital or maybe it's the constant news feed that scrolls and takes its toll on each one of us in our hearts. But it seems that politics can too easily become a God if we're not careful. Too easily it becomes something it shouldn't. So how do you know Uh, if you're giving up first place in your life to the God of politics? How can you know? Just a little self-test. If you're more passionate about your politician than you are the person of Jesus, you have a a throne in the wrong hands, right? That's easy. If If you're more passionate to debate the issues than share how God's forgiven your issues, you have a throne in the wrong hands. You know, if you have more, if you get more passionate about communicating your political position than you do worshiping Jesus, you have a throne in the wrong hands. So if you're spending more time holding people's transgressions over their heads rather than rejoicing that God has removed your transgressions, you probably have a throne in the wrong hands. And uh, this is what we talked about. The first foundation is this. God alone gets the throne of my life. God alone. And if you failed that little heart test we just did, it's simple to get back on track. I ask Jesus to forgive me. I ask for His grace to enable me, and I turn my back on who I used to be. Come on, and I start walking the other way. God is on the throne. He's in full control, and he wants first place in your life. Here's uh, foundation two was, God has called us to be one in Christ Jesus. Remember, that was 1 Corinthians 12, 12. God has called us to be one in Christ. And it said in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, we are one body, so it is with Christ. See, we are one body. We are all individuals. We look different. We think different. We feel different. We have different gifts. We have different aptitudes and different things move us and different things offend us, different things frustrate us, different things excite us. No wonder we vote different. We need our differences. And 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 21 says those differences are necessary. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, right? Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That there be, it goes on to say, that there may be uh, no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. Listen, we need our differences. We need to completely represent the heart and the complexity of God. And when we stop demonizing one another, and even better, we learn to appreciate the differences of one another. See, it just says, I have need of you. 1 Corinthians I have need of you. When we realize we have need of one another and we begin to impute value and see value in those, the differences we have, we deal with division. And we begin to develop the same care for one another that God wants for his house. God deserves, God demands first place in our life. And second foundation, God has called us to be one in Christ. Number three, uh, just by way of quick review, remember God commands us to love one another. He commands us to love one another. That's Mark 12, 31. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I love my neighbor the way I love me, then I extend my neighbor the benefit of the doubt. I, I believe the best about them. I assume the best. And I love them despite their appearance, and their financial position, their ethnicity. And yes, even despite their political ideologies, I love them. If, if, you're, if you are loved by God, then you Make the faith decision that you're going to love your neighbor, even neighbors different. I I believe that when we make that decision, God's grace collides with that commitment to obey and begins to empower us with a love beyond ourselves, right? So we looked uh, at a lot of verses last week that warn against judging others, and uh, we really came up and and finalized it with a mantra, we're going to love more, we're going to judge less. Do you remember that? That's that's an easy thing to say, but it takes daily, you know, you got to recommit to that on a daily basis. But when we do, we're going to be surprised how much more compassion, how much more understanding, and how much more peace we possess for one another. Not, Not because we magically suddenly agree with one another, but because we now genuinely care for one another. Come on, those were our first three foundations. So let me give you one more today. The fourth one is this. God is very inclusive in the diverse people he calls. God is an inclusive God. And he is no respecter of persons, but he is a lover and a caller of a diverse people. Jesus was very inclusive. When you think about who he called the diverse political views of people that Jesus called, even the disciples Jesus chose and brought close to Himself, it makes sense to me that we're gonna have a lot of political diversity within our ranks as a church. So I I wanna take a look at Matthew 10 for a moment. We see a listing of the disciples Jesus called and that Jesus sent out. Now, these are men um, that ate with Jesus, They, they traveled with Jesus, they laughed with Jesus, they cried with Jesus, and ultimately, they died refusing to forsake Jesus. And when we, when we look at this list, two of the disciples' names stand out to me. Matthew the tax collector and then Simon the zealot. Now those names might not mean a lot to you upon first mention, but these two men were literally and completely at odds with one another in every possible political way. They, they could not be more uh, different. They could not be more at odds with one another. And I want to give you some details on that in a moment. Before I do, if you're a, I want you to know, if you're attending a Jesus-centered, Bible-preaching, spirit-walking, cultural boundary-breaking church, some of the people should look and think and reason and value and even vote differently than you do. That's, that is not a weakness. That is a fantastic, wonderful, supernatural strength. The unity that we find in that diversity. And it is a joy if you can discover the truth that makes it all work. Okay, So let's see if we can get there. We find it in Galatians 3. uh, We'll read verse 27 and 28. And this really gives us the key to our fourth foundation. Are you ready? Are you taking notes? Good. Uh, It says this in verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Hear it. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ and have put on on christ listen what happens verse 28 there's neither jew there's no gentile there's neither slave nor free there's neither male nor female for you are all one in christ jesus did you hear it put on christ see my identity is no longer in gender it's not an affinity. It's not an ethnic centricity. It's not even the, like, the financial power economically that we all have. All these little affinities and associations, it's not in that. It's in Jesus and it's in his family. See, we serve a Savior that is greater than our divisions. See, God's people, it says neither Jew uh, nor Greek, n- neither New Yorker or Texan or Cuban or Colombian or Guatemalan or, or Ugandan or American or Democrat or Republican or male or female. It even goes on Paul says neither slave nor free. And Paul is not minimizing the plight of injustice for the slave or some privilege for the free. Paul is revealing the key. Put on Christ. That is our new identity. If politics is your identity and your idol, you will have a hard time finding God's heart in God's house. Now, you'll have you might have a great heart for the lost, but you'll have no patience for the found, right? Here's the truth, Jesus made room for people that you and I would not approve of. He had associations we would not tolerate. That's just the reality. If Jesus were alive today, I have no doubt we'd be taking a shot at him for his dubious associations. We'd be calling him out on social media for hanging out with drunks or spending time with uh, people with bad morals or lowly stations or questionable political associations. Jesus would have blown our world up. He, Jesus was ever crossing obvious lines. He was crossing lines of cultural conformity and religious expectation. And even health codes, Uh, Jesus would reach the lepers. Not supposed to do that. He'd reach to the low class and the no class. Jesus would even reach the prostitutes. Remember the accusation they brought against Jesus. They said, if he only knew the manner of woman that is washing his feet right now, if he knew that that guy was a thief, if he knew how she voted... Come on, Jesus included servants and slaves and and women of the day, which were not a class to be recognized, prostitutes, thieves and possibly worse, possibly worse. By today's thinking, Jesus was including and dining with tax collectors. Matthew, you know, if, if you don't know who Matthew was, I told you I'd give you a few details. Matthew was a tax collector. That means he was working for an oppressive, totalitarian, colonizing government, by Israel's estimation. He was working for Rome. Jesus, it's bad enough. Here you are. You're not taking a verbal stand against these Romans. And you're not throwing your weight against the political aspirations of Jewish people for self-determination and for their freedom. But you're actually including one of their guys. You actually called him. I'm sorry, but the Bible doesn't always tell us what we want to hear. But it's the only way, the Bible is the only way to build what only God can see. Come on, Jesus calls Matthew to be on his team. And then Jesus chose Matthew's political and ideological opposite, Simon, to also be on his team. And I imagine uh, there was some friction, there was some conflict. I imagine Jesus probably made them sit next to each other at dinner. And, And when bunk assignments came out, Uh, I I imagine, don't even tell me, I know, I'm I'm with Matthew again, right? In Luke 10, the disciples were sent out by two. Matthew and Simon, they probably didn't even have to look at the bulletin board for the trip assignments. They already know. I don't even need to look. Because Jesus has a way of putting people in our path that require us to live out the essence of the gospel in everyday life, in a relational dynamic. See, when we see Jesus' example, I'm not left with much room to negotiate, am I? I mean, do you really think my way or your way is better? That the world's way is getting us the results God desires? The division is getting wider. Come on, the division and here come the people of God. And the question is, will they be ministers of reconciliation in this world using heaven's playbook or will they fail and divide within their own house? Come on, if Jesus had room in his life, and on his team for both a radical nationalist zealot like Simon and an imperialistic Roman-influenced tax collector like Matthew, then I think we need to make room for people who think different, look different, vote different than us too. I know it's, it can feel obvious for, for some, but for others, this is going to be a journey. We're removing a condition right now and opening our eyes to a Bible truth, a foundation that is going to open a world of possibility. If Jesus had room for people uh, who are known to be morally compromised, people known to work for an anti-Israel government, people that, um, you know, I have to make room too. And if you're a Christian, so do you. Come on. A heavenly vision takes a divine strategy and it takes a supernatural grace. Let me tell you, the strategy is in the Bible, the grace is in Jesus Christ, and the vision is, is his church. It happens in community. Jesus set the example, and we won't change our pursuit of that supernatural reality for his house. We're not going to change that. It's, it's in our name, Citizen Heights. This is our new identity. Followers of Jesus, he's on the throne of my heart. So you might need a third week of this series or maybe you have to re-watch a couple, uh, a couple of times to come all the way around on this point. But I want it to marinate, okay? I want it to get into you. And, and here's some advice, obey the Bible. Find a way to obey and believe the best and presume the best about others. But it, and if you find it hard to do that, then maybe you need to go to someone you love outside your political sphere, someone that you truly love and appreciate, and ask them, what was it that really motivated your vote? Ask them, how did your faith influence your decision? Man, that's a great question. And if you're mature enough and if you have a close enough relationship, you can ask those kinds of questions. And and sometimes what I think happens is sometimes we're unable to remove ourselves from our own perspective. And our own uh, echo chambers, they're impenetrable. We can't even contemplate that there's something that we haven't considered out there. But let me tell you something. We have people in our church who vote blue. And they can't imagine how a Christian could do anything other than vote blue. And we have people in our church who vote red. And they can't imagine how a Christian could do anything other than vote red. So what do we do? Let love cover. Let God do the miracle of many into one let God unify and if you're mature enough to have the conversation ask somebody what was it about your faith and influence you just may be surprised to discover that you agree with their value but maybe not the prioritization of their value or maybe you you'll agree and and you'll actually share the same concern for the same issue but you differ on the approach to solve that issue or maybe you're going to agree with nothing right it's possible but you have newfound respect for their thoughtfulness and, the, and you appreciate someone is holding down that side of the issue. See, you, you will no doubt, let me tell you what you will find. You're going to find inconsistencies in logic. You're going to find gaps in their understanding. You're going to find some fake news in their facts. You're going to find some ignorance of a Bible verse or two or its entirety, right? You, you'll find that, but you'll also find a life that cares deeply about much of the same issues. And, the, and at the same time, a life that sincerely believes in different solutions for those same issues. We must be able to do more than coexist within this unified diversity. And if in your own life, if political affinity and political sameness uh, within your spiritual community is a driving need, right? If it's a driving need in your life to have political sameness in my spiritual community, you need to examine some of the verses that we've talked about more closely. Remember, God is an inclusive God and he calls people far and wide, whoever would hear, whoever would listen. And so here's the challenge I want to gently bring you to on this fourth foundation as we get ready to close. If you choose, now, and I want you to listen carefully, because I, I assume if you're watching, I'm either your pastor or you're, you're looking for someone to, to pastor and shepherd you and love you. And, we, and I said last week, we have a lot of leaders and we have a lot of cheerleaders, but we don't have enough fathers who are gently, compassionately, carefully urging us into the truth as we see the Bible laid out for us. So here's what I would challenge you with. If you choose to reject the beauty of diversity within our faith community, that's, that's certainly your right as an American. But it is not your right as a Christian. Come on, I'll say it again. If you choose to reject the beauty of diversity within our faith community, that's your right as an American, but it isn't your right as a Christian. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that you are not your own, that you've been bought with a price, and therefore glorify God. How do we glorify God? We become part of his family. And the I can't say to the hand, I don't need you, I need you. See, it says that we were bought with a price. You and I were ransomed. There was a price paid. Our debt of sin was bought and and, and settled by the blood, the precious blood of Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 12 says that all members of the body, though we're many, we are one body. You see, unity is not an optional accessory to faith. It is central to the heart of God. It's God's master design plan for you and for me. So I wanna repeat that earlier statement one more time. If you choose to reject the beauty of diversity within our faith community, that's your right as an American, but it is not your right as a Christian. Maybe you're fighting it, maybe you're resisting it, but we just went through and established it. These aren't my words that I'm hanging these thoughts on. This is God's heart, so if you disagree, what i'd have to ask you what are you leaning on to justify your disagreement if you disagree and are resisting what do you have is it a thought that resists is it an idea or a feeling can i encourage you if your reason for ignoring these clear unambiguous biblical admonitions on godly foundations if your reason for resisting doesn't have a chapter and a verse attached to it you're in dangerous waters can i say it like that you know in a moment i want to pray with you but First, I want to reaffirm with you today, regardless of who you are and where you've been, God has a place for you in his house. You are loved, you are valued, and you are part of the family at Citizen Heights. And we're gonna stop here for a politically diverse church survival guide. We'll stop at that point at the end of the Fourth Foundation. But the good news for, for all of us is we all have a seat at the table. We all have an invitation into the family. And even better, we're forgiven by a God who will always be faithful, who will always be true. And so we need to get back to God and not just worshiping him on Sunday, but keeping him on the throne between Monday, Monday and Saturday. Keeping God on the throne at that first place. So I wanna take a moment right now uh, as we wind up and consider the agencies that are maneuvering and uh, in leveraging your life. I want I want you to consider the agendas, actually, just the ideas and the agendas that are after your life, trying to leverage you right now. It might be far right or it might be far left. It might be this-ism or that-ism. It might be media headlines or, or political narratives. Everything we read has an agenda. And then you compare it to God's agenda for you he wants to take your life, he wants to heal it, he wants to seal it, he wants to bring peace to it, he wants to love you and help you and restore you, pronounce purpose over you, pronounce blessing over you, pronounce over you a sound mind and silence all fear. Come on, I like King Jesus' agenda. I like what he's building. You can have your political agenda. I want the Jesus agenda. You can have your man-made justice agenda. I want the Jesus agenda. You can have your exclusive church agenda. I want the big, wide open arms of Jesus, inclusive church agenda who says, I have room for you in my house. See, the Jesus agenda, its eyes are on you for your good, for your peace, for your spiritual transformation. And I wanna give you an opportunity today to pray. And I I just wanna pray for two kinds of people as we we wrap up today. First, a group of people, if, if you know you need to respond to this message, come on, you know your heart. We look on the outside, but God knows our hearts. And, and actually, we, I think we know our hearts more than typical in history because we bear all things on social media. And, and, and some of us have been bearing some things that haven't been in alignment with God's heart. And, and some of us have been impacted by things as we read it. And you'd say, today, if you're just really honest in a humble moment, you say, I'm submitting. I need to submit to the gentle, careful hand of God to realign me with his word to realign me with his heart, in the building of his house, the building of his people. I need that in my life. So if that's you and you, wanna, you want that, uh, we're gonna pray right now, are you ready? Father, we thank you. And Lord, we just declare you get first place in our lives right now. God, we, we thank you that you're gonna give us grace to find our identity in Jesus first, Jesus only. Father, we thank you that you're gonna enable us to love others as, as you've loved us, and as you've accepted us. Thank you, Father, that you call us. And you call many that are like us and many that are unlike us to be part of the same family. So Father, today we respond. Come on, we respond. We're walking out of the fog and we're realizing our faith foundations, they they got a little wobbly. So today we lay it down and we yield to your master plan and the design of heaven. We say this, the Bible wins. We say this, unity wins. And Father, we say this, your inclusive heart wins, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you took that by faith. I do want to pray for a second group of people, uh, and then then we'll sing a song together. The second group of people, uh, if you don't have the assurance that God loves you, or forgives you, or that God has a place for you, today you're going to, by faith, accept and receive God's love for your life. And our entire culture is built to insulate us from thinking about life after death and thinking about eternity. And it's like going in a casino with no clocks and no windows and no reference to the passing of time and the coming of night. And we're shielded by entertainment and sports and wealth and the pursuit of momentary power. But 2020 has blown the mirage, right? You've come out of the fog and the fog is lifted and your need for Jesus is on full display in full view. Come on, that's, that's a realization Many of us have come to, and I assure you, in between all the breaking stories and updates and world happenings and headlines, Jesus' love for you will be the headline that'll frame your heart, it'll it'll keep your health, it'll set the course for your future. So let's pray together right now. If that's for you, I'm gonna count to three, and when I hit three, I'm gonna invite you to lift your hand, and when by lifting your hand, you're saying, I need Jesus in my life. Are you ready? One, don't wait. God loves you right where you are. Two, He loves you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. Are you ready? One, two, three, just lift your hand right where you are. You say, Pastor, nobody can see me where I am. God sees you where you are. God sees that hand, the hand that says, I surrender, the hand that says, Jesus, you're the answer I've been looking for. Now I want you to pray this prayer with me, all of us together, nice and loud, dear Jesus, I give you my life because you first gave me yours. I love you, Jesus because you first loved me. So now I surrender my life, my past, my present, and my future. I put it in your hands. Jesus, I surrender to your rule as Lord of my life. Now say this boldly, I am a Christian. Come on, by grace I've been saved. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, God is good. God is great, God has a great plan for your life, and we're so thrilled that you just made that decision today.